0: Alrighty, welcome back to the Stateside Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. Do I say that every time? I do. But this time, I mean it. We have my new friend that I'm really getting to know, getting close to, Ryan, a.k.a. Tuck O'Leary. He's an artist manager, he's a bass player in the band Fit for a King, and he's a fellow podcaster. Welcome to the show,
1: Tuck. Hi, James. Uh, (laughs) Thanks so much for having me, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Yeah, and the crowd goes wild. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, we have actually been talking a lot lately. We have been. But for all good things. But yeah, it's been a pleasure to get to know you as of late.
0: Yeah, and I, I love how that that happens. There's like these seasons and moments in our job where, you, where you're talking to someone a lot. And that's just our, our moment right now. We're talking a lot. There's a lot of stuff going on. And uh, I think we're doing some pretty cool shit together. So I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, man. Thank you. Big fan of what you do. Thank you. People, I should say, that are capable of managing producers. Um, it is a really cool and uh, particular art form when it comes to management. Because yeah, it is honestly a full year-round gig in a different sense. Um, mm-hmm. The guys that you work with, your roster is just legendary stacked steroids it's crazy love it it's like liver king on juice you know it (laughs) but uh, (laughs) that's right he's all fake it's okay though honestly like he looks sick and like steroids are cool if you you know want to do them that's cool i don't want to do steroids but um, no me me neither
0: i I mean that guy what a (laughs) what a like example of the modern internet The Liver King represents everything about social media today and and what we follow and what people look up to. It's very interesting.
1: Well, you know what? That was interesting. So, you know, yesterday I was hanging out with Steve. Um, So uh, for everybody listening, I'm talking about Steve Evitz, who is a... uh, producer, who's an amazing, legendary producer who happens to work with James. And we were talking about stuff, just social media and, you know, where artists are at and some of the demands that are on our artists these days. And I looked at Steve and I was like, dude, if you looked at my Instagram, you would fucking hate me, bro. I'm I'm not there like playing sick glass, you know, sick glass jaw riffs on my bass. I'm spinning around like a fucking asshole. And you would hate. <laughs> hate it and uh <laughs> it was pretty funny like just having that moment where because he's such he's a, a bassist you know by trade and has you know primary instrument on top of being a producer so you know it, it's interesting watching today's dynamics of artists trying to find their footing beyond just being an artist but being an entertainer because that's half of the battle right is nowadays we can't just really you know, unless you're like bad Noah from Bad Omens, like right now he doesn't have to post on Instagram at all. He has no posts. He's just really hot and he wrote a great record and people are stoked on it. So that works. Like it happens when you're that like 0. .0001%, but yeah, very rare.
0: Yeah, very rare. Most of us have to hustle and be little social media sluts.
1: Yeah, which, you know, I'm fine with, you know. Honestly, like, would my life have been easier if I was, like, the golden goose? Maybe. I don't know. But I'm very satisfied with how it's going currently. So, you know, I'm I'm just going to ride it out. I'm all right with it the way it is. It's a good strategy. Well, before we get
0: too deep here in the weeds, and, and we'll get back to some of what we just talked about. Let's start at the top here, Tuck. For those listening that may not know who you are or aren't all that familiar with you and your work, give the kind of the quick elevator pitch on on how you got into music and why you do so much. You're an artist manager, podcaster, and you play bass in a pretty damn prominent band and you tour
1: a lot. How did all this begin? Thanks. I... Growing up, uh, in high school and stuff like that. I so started being in band when I was fifteen. Been in a ton of them, you know. Had to do the whole rigmarole, of, like selling tickets and stuff, and came very close to like people in the area who were running the system, if you will, and really tried to learn it and play it and be into it. Um, became very obsessed with it. I by the age of like fifteen and sixteen, my parents would. Book the local Elks Lodge for me so I could put on shows and I got to book really cool bands like The Wonder Years and Just Surrender and The Years Gone By and uh, upcoming, you know, stuff like that at that time. And uh, just quickly became obsessed. And in school, my only real focus was being a theater kid. And I was the vice president of my SAD program, Students Against Destructive Decisions, and they would let me put on a few concerts a year. So, I just was constantly either being in bands, trying to play shows or put on shows, whatever, and continued you know doing that throughout my early twenties up until the age of twenty five uh, you know, did community college, all that kind of shit, had my band uh two bands, you know, one that you know got you know you know a little close, they like signed a media scare for a second. Uh, they had like kicked me out right beforehand, but you know got got pretty close. And then another band that I was in called Visions. That the first one was called, a band called The Last of Our Kind. Second band called Visions. We uh got like you know talked to some labels. You know almost got there, but never really quite made it. And twenty five, I was like, I'm out. I'm done. I gotta rack it up. And a friend of mine introduced me to Fit for a King. And. I got to audition, sent them a whole bunch of crap, and then they just called one day and were like, Hey, can you know, how quick can you get to Texas? And and I took my car off the road, moved out of my apartment and two and a half days later. I was in Texas. And uh, you know, I'd learned like nine songs in a week. And then we went on a two and a half week run with KuboyCon and Sirens and Sailors, and they asked me if I would join the band. And then we made a record and Uh, about eight, well over eight years, eight and a half years ago now. So been with them ever since. And that's, you know, my main job. That's my life is Fit for a King, you know, on top of my lovely wife and family. You know, that's, you know, my main thing. And then through the blessing that is Fit for a King and, you know, getting to know people, getting to get more of a footing in the industry, getting to understand it a little bit better, I've been lucky enough to, do some stuff like I have a side project called Off-Road Minivan that I sing in that's on Tooth & Nail. I have a podcast called Get Tucked. Uh, I started a company called Featured X. I also manage some bands uh, by the name of The Gloom in the Corner and the Exquisite Delure. Um, And there, uh, Gloom just signed to Sharp Tone Records and released their first album with them. And Lex is about to announce some super monster massive stuff. And everyone's going to be like, what? And uh, that that's really, that's all the shit that I do. How I got into it was just, I'm obsessed with it. It's my favorite thing in the whole fucking world. Like, being into scene music and metalcore is just in my blood. I think about it all day, every day, forever. And I can't stop, won't stop. And luckily, I've been able to do multiple things within one you know, scope of, of the music scene. Thankful to artists and friends and people that have been willing to participate in my shenanigans.
0: So, you know. Congrats to you for, for carving out a path for yourself and, you know, paying the bills doing this thing. It's not easy. I can, I can attest to that. That's the,
1: you know, part of the conversation of the day you know
0: yeah it's it's tough, man and like like you I do a lot of things I mean I, I started similar thing you know, very young playing in bands, finding my my footing and eventually falling you know years later doing stateside like I didn't set out to manage producers. <laughs> I don't think anyone does when they're 15. I don't even know what the fuck that was. But I I just kept doing.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure when, like, you first started, you know, thinking about management in general, like, did you manage artists first and then moved on to...
0: No, actually. No No, I I went right into producer management. Yeah, I'm rare in that way. I... I had some friends who were producers, pretty close friends. Do you know Chris Crummett?
1: I don't know him personally, but I'm I'm a fan, you know, because really the only other person that I know that was doing something like that is like Johnny Minardi, who, again, don't know right. him personally, but monster fan of everything that he's done um, in his career, you know.
0: Oh, of course. He's been a um, sort of a like a distant mentor to me. I, I also don't know him very well. I've met him a couple times.
1: One of the greatest A&Rs of all time. Yeah, one People, of the greatest. You know, like when we look back on music and this whole like everything from Fall Out Boy and Panic onward thing, go thank that motherfucker because that's who you got oh, yeah. to thank. Like, yeah. and that's on God. That's some real shit. But there you go. You get me excited now. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Anyway, like when I, when I started the idea of like getting back into music, but on the other side of the fence, not, not being in a band, not trying to make it in a band, I, I confided in my friend Chris, a couple other friends at producers, a, a close friend named Stefan Hawks, who's a rock producer here in the Northwest. Yeah. The more I kind of talked it out, we just narrowed it down together. Like, why don't you try producers? It's, it's less to start with. There's not as many people. I certainly grew up around studios and and producers.
1: A lot less BS to deal with, especially with... Well, it's just different. ...today's market for artists where they have a lot to deal with on top of, uh, I guess, you know, cancer culture, social issues, stuff like that, on top of, you know, just putting out good art, which is hard, (laughs) you know?
0: Yeah, and and there's also just simply less people. I mean, a producer is one person. A, A
1: band is yeah pretty cool two to nine people yeah if you get along really well it's got to be super easy
0: yeah it's it's just it's just a different thing it's a different moment in the cycle that is music you know there's there's songwriting there's performing there's making a record
1: and what an and important I'm at that factor
0: part. though you know huge
1: factor yeah yeah game changer bro
0: it's been really cool and i've, I've learned so much about Recording and what it takes to make records and what it takes to mix records and master them, it's a whole art form, man.
1: Yeah, because on top of that, too, like you know, as working with artists and stuff and being an artist, and I've had you know, shout out my man Drew Folk, yeah, that dude changed my life. Like, he made my band significantly better, he taught us how to write better, he made our songs. That's what better. a good everything was my life got better better, thanks to that individual. And that's the thing that that bands, especially today, when they're like, well, I, I downloaded all of the JST plugins and I have everything on my... Why do I need to go to a producer? Because you right. can't write a fucking song, you stupid fuck. That's yes. why. You need to go and learn from someone who... There's a reason why Steve Evitz has done a laundry list of legendary records. Sure, it's the band... But it's him. It's fucking him. And that's the same thing with a guy like Drew. It's sure, it's sure. Is it fit for a king? It's partially fit for a king, but it's also the sauce. It's Drew. He's ugh, like, you know, you can't just have the
0: pasta. Well, it's a, it's a real art form. No. And just because you have pro tools and some microphones, it doesn't make you a producer. You know, being a producer is, is a real art form, it's a trusted, ob- objective. Uh, perspective for for a band. It's
1: being a tastemaker. It's being a tastemaker. You're you have the ability to know what is right from wrong when a lot of people objectively think what is right and wrong. Where that's right. You know when you talk about like one of the records that him and I discussed yesterday was uh, Through Being Cool by Saves the Day. The amount of memories that I have imprinted in my brain thanks to that album one is. Astronomical in a way that, you know, many things will never do for me, right? That was done to tape. I did not know that. Most of these people that want to be quote unquote producers, they couldn't even dream of doing that shit. And they'll say, well, I wouldn't have to because I'm. But that's why you can't write a song the same way is because you don't feel things the same way. And there are people who have gone from being you know, bedroom producers to being incredible, real producers with fantastic art and projects. stuff Like, I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying that the likelihood that everyone is capable of being that is not the same. And, you know, you those producers that have proven that they can write great songs, why waste your fucking time? Just go. Just go do it. Hit them up. You, you know, it might change your life tomorrow. So you should try that. You
0: know, but well, even even artists that have the the uh, facility the, the the capabilities rather to produce their own music. Say, say someone like Trent Reznor, right? This guy's a very heavily involved person. He doesn't just write the music, he produces it, the whole image and the the vibe is like a holistic point of view. But even someone like Trent has production help. He would never go make a record by himself. He certainly wouldn't mix a record. That that's all Exactly. That's all those are lessons for young bands out there. Just because you can demo a good song in your basement doesn't mean you should produce your own record.
1: Well, there are exceptions. Like a really good modern exception is uh, the band Loathe. You know, they've worked with other people mm-hmm. and then they decided, you know, we want to do it ourselves. They produced it themselves and all stuff, and that shit blew the fuck up. That's a big record. It crushed. And that's because they did it themselves and nobody got to influence their flavor. And that's great. And it is very possible. But, you know, I also never want to take away from that where some people are also just extra special of course everybody wants to think they're extra special but that's not necessarily the most healthy point of view all the time when trying to be objective about how to do things better
0: did loath they probably still had someone mixed a record i would assume i could be wrong but uh
1: yeah it was that dude who does uh George fucking something english dude he did like thornhill Um, and doing them yeah george lever
0: see there there you go like even a band like that they have the the foresight to know well look just because we can do all this ourselves we have a vision we should hand it over to someone at some point and have them objectively
1: yeah mix this goddamn thing absolutely and bravo to them 100 percent. what a fucking album but yeah, you know, and that's one of those things where, you know, that was a band choice and they made the right one. Sometimes bands choose to go that route and then it fucking sucks. And their record <laughs> sucks and their band sucks and then they're dead. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. Not not all bands are equal. You know, and yeah. not all connections with each other are different. Sometimes you you do need that producer to capture the best performance from you. Just that yeah. alone is such a, a skill set that not everyone can do. Yeah. Um. Well, So kind of pivoting here to to one of the things that you do spend time on, especially when you're not on the road and you're not, you're not guy from Fit for a King. The thing you, you spend a lot of time now on and you're getting better at is artist management. Now, what is sort of your favorite part about that and why do you think you're good at
1: it? My favorite part is telling people I was right and uh, (laughs) proving it and... It's self-serving in the most fun way possible because it's all based off of talent and a little lust. And, like, for me, when I love a band, like the way that I love Lex and Gloom, I love them like my own. I love them like my band. And because I'm an artist and I'm, I would say I'm a pretty terrible one when it comes to creating art, terrible in terms of difficulty i think when they tell me their crazy ideas and stuff i'm not going to laugh at them i'm going to tell them that they can do it and that they're really capable and if they want to tell me like i am i'm gonna be fucking 10 billion times bigger than fit for the kings and i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna go right ahead i believe you i want to help you let me see how and so far the stuff that we've said we've wanted to do we were very pinpointed where there are people right now that are very focused on the algorithm in terms of, like, physically plugging into it. And I think that we're trying to plug into it through the matrix. And that sounds very, like, hippy-dippy, right? But we've solely been focusing on the art. And through the art, kindness, and connections, are we able to get the things that we need where... People have been able to instill faith in them through their ability to create. And that's pretty rare, especially in today's day and age. That, you know, one of the things that Steve and I were discussing yesterday was with, you know, Lex in particular, you wonder. By the way, did they officially change their
0: name to Lex?
1: Or are you just shortening it? No, I just call them Lex all the time because it's much easier. And they... They need to change that goddamn name, man. You know, <laughs> I'll put it this way, because this podcast is happening at a very interesting time. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But that yeah. band is about to go through a lot, and I'll put it that way. But, you know, I'll, I can speak about them to a certain extent. And when it comes to... The conversations when I first met both of these bands and they told me, like, this is what we're doing. This is what we want to do. This is where we want to go. This is who we are. This is, you know, they had very clear visions. They just needed help getting from point A to point B and they needed somebody to believe in them. And luckily, like, when I, the first time I heard Corpse Barty by Lex, you know, I was just like, Jesus Christ, this is amazing. And it just put me in a time warp. And I hit them up immediately, and I was like, I have to do this. So, you know, I guess I've definitely strayed from your question a bit, but when it comes to these bands and what, you know, I guess picking talent and working with taking my time to want to do it, I do it because I, I naturally become obsessed with them. You know, the only time that I take on a band is because I'm so into the music where I'm like, if anyone else touches this and fucks it up, I'm gonna be so fucking mad. Right. And uh yeah, there's there's only one other band that's ever I've ever managed and that did that to me. This band called Rich People, who just sadly broke up. And they have an EP by the name of Grace Session. I'll send it to you. Yeah, please. Brother. It's phenomenal. Like it is hell yeah. Life changingly fucking good for me. For me. And that's, you know, from my point of view. And sometimes it doesn't work.
0: Tuck, would you say that, because what I'm kind of hearing your vibe on like approach to artist management is that like the details matter, connecting dots matter, reverse engineering what your band wants matters, but what matters more, and I think what you're kind of alluding to, like what you're better at here is that A, you are one of them. You are a band guy. Like that's your whole fucking life. And so you you have empathy for what these guys want or or gals in that case you feel your way through this. Like you're you're a feelings
1: guy. You're a creative guy. I think, yeah, I think I can feel it. I think I can call it. You know, like there are artists where like when I was younger, I was playing in, in that band Visions I was telling you about, and we were playing shows with a local band by the name of Paris from Massachusetts. We were trading mm-hmm. shows. Okay. Yep. And the minute I met Lynn and saw her play, whew, I was like, you're going to take over the goddamn planet. And she did. Yeah, she's a huge artist. And I remember when I first was playing with Fit because we ended up playing one I Matter Festival. I think it was 2014 where they actually played underneath us. And we we're hanging out, and you know, I had already told my manager I had my Paris shirt, like OG oh, with the fucking A, like mm. doing the whole nine. I was just—they were one of those bands that I just rode for. I talked about because I was just like, I, I'm a huge fan. I think they're going to be a huge. And when you see bands do that, it gives you a little bit of confidence where it's, only, it's you know, most people would say, well, yeah, who couldn't look at them and call it, you know? But there were people who didn't. And of that's course. the difference. And when you know their story in particular, too, it's a pretty wild good one, but it's not mine to tell regardless. <laughs> Stuff like that, I think, helped me to start being like, you know, maybe I get the proverbial it. Maybe I can look at somebody where, like when I talk to Mikey from Gloom, and he tells me his whole crazy story because his band is kind of like a co and in Cambria where they've got this whole story and it's creating a whole a multiverse, if you will. And you know, he tells me about it and he's recording this music and he shows it to me. And then I look in his eyes. I'm just like, you're the truth, bro. Like, you <laughs> mean it. And I don't know. There are times where you like the music and you meet the people and you're just like, nah. Right. Yeah. Of course. So I think a couple of those help that's
0: rad to hear. And it's good to talk about out loud because there's, there are young people out there who want to get into this thing that we do either playing in a band or specifically managing whether producers or artists. And I'm similar to you, Tuck in the way that like, you know, look, I, I am quite frankly, not a type, a person. And in, instead I hire people and find a team that can facilitate some of those shortcomings. I, I don't have. Right. Yes. And for me, I think I'm way better of a producer manager by, by by being a fellow creative with them, seeing their vision, feeling what they feel, and, yes. and having empathy for what my producers want. Producers are no different than artists. They, I mean, they are artists. They're no different than a band. It's all the same. They want the same level of success. They want the same kind of being validated, right? Everyone yeah. wants to be validated and heard.
1: You know, it's a good difference. I've, I was discussing this with someone the other day because it's something that I, another like passion that, you know, one of the things I always wanted to be was like an A&R guy. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe I will someday. But point being, you know. Well, we should talk about that because you and I should do that together. I would love to. God. Uh, I I have a guy I'm trying to get. I want him to give me some money.
0: <laughs> I like that.
1: But point being, somebody asked, they're like, whoa. Well, you know, why would you manage and not get into the label game? Because you can make way more money on the label game, even though you can do pretty good on the management front. But the hard part is the ownership aspect of it. That's where, right. You know, a band could fire me at any time, and that would be hard, and I'd be heartbroken, I'd be sad. But that's their right, and they deserve it, and it's their business to do with what they choose. And I sure. understand that because I'm an artist. And I've had people, I have people that own my art. Um, Brandon Ebel um, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know it's one of those things where I've also thought to myself you know these bands that I'm working with or bands that you know I love and I feel like I'm you know could help and stuff maybe I could do more if I just had a label um, and that also is possible you have to have the money and the problem is say you get to the point one of them's popping off You're recouping. You're making the juice. And they're not really making that much. Are you going to feel bad? And I don't know if I'll feel bad. I might put on a chinchilla and look at all y'all and be like, hey, I'm the baddest. (laughs) But I don't know if I could. It would be really yeah. hard. And yeah, I, like I said, I, I would consider wearing fur just for that reason because I know it would make people mad. Yeah.
0: I could see you wearing a nice chinchilla.
1: You know, and I'll, I want to scramble some eggs, honestly. I'll get my head real shiny, you know. I got a big old fat cigar. I got the chinchilla. No. I can see it. I live in New Jersey, bro. I can do that. Is
0: that where you're from?
1: No, I'm from upstate New York, around the Poughkeepsie, in between Poughkeepsie and Albany, Hudson Valley, um, small little town by the name of Red Hook. Okay. Uh, but my wife and I just moved to Jersey City, you know, better part of a year ago. Uh, but I love it. It's great.
0: Yeah. So you've been a an East Coast guy predominantly your whole life.
1: Yes, sir. Yeah. I, you know, we did, uh, you know, some fun upstate cities for a while, Hudson and Beacon and Then we went to Brooklyn for like three and a half years, and Texas. Now we're, you know, well, I've never lived in Texas.
0: Oh, okay. I thought you lived there.
1: Yeah, I, I have always uh, just. They've never asked me to live there. They've always been really nice and just let me do my thing. And I think that that's because we're such a fam, we're truly a family oriented band. You know. You know what's funny
0: about that? The the type of bands that tour as much as Fit for a King does. It's almost easier to live away from one another mm-hmm. because that's that it's like a real good break not to like belittle yeah it, yeah it's a real yeah. job and bands that don't tour as much it's more about like growing and being here in the moment together and i think you kind of need to live in the same area when you're starting out but you know you don't real you don't need to
1: yeah and i think it helps us in the creative in a sense too where you get a good break from each other and honestly some of those first like sit downs with my guitar right after a tour by myself in a space where I'm can't be interrupted is just priceless you know but it depends there's days I I would love to live in Texas but you know overall yeah I think what's best for all of us is being near our families and my family is here in New York so you know that keeps me the healthiest for sure 100 percent When should a band get a manager? You know, when they have something to manage. Amen. I've had a lot of bands ask that or they're looking for it. And for instance, when you look at, say, early Lex, they had less to manage than, like, Gloom, where, like, Gloom had put out two releases. They were starting to get popular in their country. They had been shown a little bit of label attention. And they... We're ready to like do the next record and like really do a record versus Lex who just put out a couple songs that were really good and they're cute and they're talented and they're ready to fucking rock. And you have to be willing to invest years into Lex or a Gloom, but the Gloom in this case, you know, got rolling faster, right? But I knew that. The difference here is... Corey, my manager, Corey Hady, fantastic manager. He uh, worked for Fit for a King well before my time for three years for free until the band actually was like making money. So we like, because Ryan, who sings in Fit for a King, he also manages two acts uh, by the name of Hollow Front and Memorist. Fantastic bands. We just have some like ethical rules Where we're not going to touch money until X amount of money is being put in the pot regularly. Because I have a job. My job is being in Fit for a King. I have a passion for management. And like I stated before, I don't want other people to fuck it up. So I'm going to put some control into it. But I'm not in a rush to be like, oh, you're getting $150 a night now? Cool, let me squeeze my fucking 20 bucks. Like, that is some fucking asshole shit. I hate it. It's really unethical and it's mean and it and it holds a band back from being yeah. able to actually grow and get to the point where they're like, have a van and can pay for their fucking insurance and feel comfortable. And maybe even they come home from tours and they start, you know, making money. But that's the other thing is bands start touring too early. They think that they yeah. think in an antiquated sense where all the money being spent on touring, you could put into the algorithm and it will make you way more fans and get you more attention, which then hopefully a label or a manager or a manager or an agent or one of the three is interested in you because one will probably grant you the other two. Yeah. But that's all fed through the algorithm. You can only feed the algorithm with great songs. So that's why we go back always to the producing aspect, which is, most artists these days, they, especially because we can all record ourselves. Yeah. You put out your song and then you're like, yeah, that was fucking awesome. And then your next one, you're like, yeah, that was better than the fucking last. And then you think in that sense, but you're not thinking in terms of, but what is greatness? And I think that that's where saving your chips and going to someone who is a tastemaker can help you where if you go to anyone from steve evitz to jonathan delise to you know uh tom denny to you know people that have written what i would call a hit song and what yeah. most people would call a hit song those people can tell and they can tell better than you so go learn from them because you know it's like saying you've got a master's but you didn't take the classes you know it's just kind of rude you know go soak up spend a little money, spend a little time, learn from a legend or two, you know, those people that do make better records than the people that don't. That's always, that's a given. But
0: what is, um, yeah, I love all that. I I totally agree. I I think a lot of bands jump the gun on, like you said, they, they, they think in a sense of like the nineties or early two thousands. So they think they need to hit the road tomorrow and they think they need a label and they need a manager it's like not yet you don't just go do
1: it for a while yeah and all of those things will kind of sort themselves out like legit with with lex like they have an incredible booking agent one of the best but you don't see them on tours yet and the reason was cuz we were we legit had a conversation of like now nah, we're going to let him be like you know just fucking banned for a while. Yeah. Go play, go play your fucking area, play some shows. They put on these like emo night club nights in their in their county and they have their own scene that they created. They're doing their own thing.
0: And th- and that's that is what's nice about having a manager or a team similar to like a producer, someone that's a an outside perspective. Yeah. You know, someone that can can bounce these ideas off one another because bands, they just get in their own echo chamber and they think that they have the best ideas on the planet. Cause everyone's just, everyone's a yes, man, you know? Yeah. And I think having someone kind of keep you on your toes is good. What is, um, what is kind of your state of the union on the music industry? Like, are you hopeful for music? This is something I ask every guest Are are you hopeful for the music industry are you yeah mystic
1: yeah you are yeah. okay good because now there's more information the problem is yeah i have more problem with other artists than um the f- you know the fat cats if you will my biggest gripe is like dudes who i know get paid but they act like bitches on the internet and they're like I don't make any money. My life sucks. My life. Fuck you. You're a bitch and so is your aunt. And you need to put on your big boy pants and get your shit straight. Stop putting it in your nose. Like, there's some, there's a stigma that has created that has made kids not want to be in bands. Because they think that they can't actually live a life unless they're the solo artist who, you know, does this astronomical shit. But there are some really healthy examples of bands that are going to do some really legendary things. If you look at anything from the 1975 to the War on Drugs, there are some bands out there right now that are actually going to go down in history as massive, incredible artists. But yeah, I, I, I I don't know how I guess I'd phrase my State of the Union necessarily. My issue is with other artists because there's enough information out there and there's enough discussions that can be had amongst ourselves where I can have another band ask me What's your deal like? Why are you so a solid state? Right. I'll fucking tell you. I'm not going to tell you guys on the air, but I'm going to tell you off air. And my deal's fat. My deal's fucking sick. My deal's better than, guarantee you, 99% of metalcore. Somebody's got a better deal than me. Come forward. Let me know. (laughs) Because I doubt it. And you learn these things over time. And if you are multiple albums deep as an artist and you didn't learn shit and you didn't figure out how to get a better contract, you're a fucking idiot. Like, that's your problem because you didn't have the right conversations, you didn't care, and you didn't try. But that's the problem with most artists is a lot of artists don't have business sense. They just want to be artists and they want to pass everything off and then they wake up and it turns out that all five of them are such artists that they passed everything off and they were getting robbed by their fucking manager for years right. and they didn't fucking audit their label and they didn't get paid and they didn't know what was going and actually you've been recouped for 7 years and you didn't say what? I didn't wait, you no, know, I never recouped because you guys could just kept spending more money. Wait, what? Like these things that are so pivotal like just it just happens it, all the time, too. And it happens all And it drives me crazy but luckily i have been you know able to learn a lot from ryan who's a singer of fit and he is a smart motherfucker and he cares you know we just we want to prove that there are better ways to do it you know but
0: yeah i mean that's so what i'm hearing from you is that you're you're super hopeful yeah but you you expect people to take some ownership in this and not pass everything off to others.
1: Yeah. And that's part of learning how to play the game. It's like, you know, the same way, you know, I get the whole like, well, I want to be independent. I want to fully own everything about that's cool. I get it, but good fucking luck. Let me know when it works. Cause the likelihood of you being the next fucking chancellor rapper is a fucking (laughs) please bitch. Like, come on, it ain't going to happen. And I'm not saying that in a way of being negative, It could happen. I'm not saying it can't, but most likely it's not going to. So an easier way for us to do things is what would happen if we made friends? What happened if we were nice and we called favors and we were very uh, transparent and honest about the things that we want and why we believe that certain things should happen the way that they do? I and I think that that works better. At least for me, it's worked better. But I am plugged into the matrix, like I said before. And, and, and I think that that hopefulness, a little bit of faith, is so important for humans. Because when you – and it, it's very easy nowadays. A lot of you know, what we watch, what we read, what we hear, what we see, what we eat – makes us think and feel negative things and i get it i do too but i don't want to i know it's wrong you know there are times i want to just sit down smoke a fatty and watch fucking murder doc that's like every night i love it but it doesn't make me want to murder and you have to think about that kind of stuff with your music and your art and what you're doing with your relationships because these people that are out to be the lone wolf warrior that's like well i don't need anybody that's a fucking lonely road bro like, why would you want that? That sounds miserable. Yeah. You know, why would you even love, get into this thing? I call my best friends every day. Cause it's fun. Cause I love them. It's great. Cause life is better. Well, with I people. love that. You know,
0: I think that's a, that's a lot better message than a lot of the shit I hear people say. Um, Well, dude, a couple things. I want to hear about the podcast, and then I want to have people be able to find you as we kind of wrap this thing up. Sure. What's the plan with the podcast? What are you doing next?
1: I met a lovely uh, individual. um, His name's Ian Yerquot, and he he was out uh, with I Prevail on this tour, and him and I have just been kind of like flirting on DMs, and we kind of decided that the podcast needs to come to video format, so... He's going to help me with that, where kind of going to what you said, Yeah, my skill is not video stuff. Uh, I would love to pass that off. I can talk. I have friends. I can host. And I love to do my podcast. But I don't necessarily have time to take that on. But I don't want the podcast to, you know, stay stagnant. So uh, we're going to be, you know, putting the show on YouTube and, and bringing it to video format. So that way I can, you know, Just have some more fun with it, put reels on Instagram, just try to take it to the next level because I absolutely adore doing it. I love being a host and I love sharing information, which the whole reason why I did it was to let fans see the side of these artists that I get to see which is the side that I want to present, which is the real one. I don't want to just, like, have everybody live in infamy because it's so mysterious. Like, (laughs) Nah, man, I want you to know, like, all the real shit about me, and I think that that's what's going to make you connect with me and my art because when you hear my music, you can then say, like, oh, I know what Tuck's talking about because he talked about it on the show, and that's, okay, okay, this is connecting for me. Now I'm,
0: I'm
1: in the universe. So, you know, that helps me you know, I think, uh, in a way to let, I just wanted to get people to know, like know who I am. And, and luckily Ian was just like, I'm going to help you. So we're going to do it and it's going to be really cool. I love doing my podcast and it's been a real, real bless- blessing. It-, it helped me through the the, po- the pandemic very much.
0: That's awesome. You know, Thanks. Well, shit, man, this has been super fun. I, I do appreciate your time and we're going to continue to talk. I-, I just have this feeling that you and I are going to, talk some more whether you want to or not. Yeah, I mean, yeah, technically
1: we have to. We
0: <laughs> uh, have to. You know, uh, we are required at least for to. a little bit.
1: But um, it's been an absolute pleasure, James. I've really enjoyed um, getting to know you and, and thanks for inviting me onto your show tonight and uh can't wait to continue being pals.
0: Well, where can people find you?
1: Uh you can find me on Instagram at hustle x crow. You got to drop the Russell, pick up the hustle. Brrr um i <laughs> on uh twitter just tuck ffak the get tucked podcast social on instagram that exists currently it's just gonna die we're gonna have a rebirth okay and uh they'll be able to find the youtube soon it'll be everywhere my podcast will be as viral as my spins you know that'll come up soon but if you want to listen to the show Get Tuck the Podcast. You can listen to it anywhere and everywhere that you listen to podcasts. It's just interviews with some of your favorite artists and trying to, you know, let you in on like their more personal side in a more authentic way. Getting the real shit out of them, the juice out of the squeeze, if you will. So, oh, I like that.
0: I like juice. Yeah. All right, homie. Love you. Love you too, bro. We will talk very
1: soon. Thank you, my man. It was a pleasure.